0: All right, let's open up our Bibles over to Matthew chapter 2. Actually, we're going to go first today to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, so turn there, but we'll get to Matthew chapter 2. As we have recently begun a a study in the Gospel of Matthew, I think, honestly, folks, you know, something I prayed about and thought about for several years going through Matthew again, it just didn't seem like the time, and then it seemed like, okay, this was the time I just felt pressed. Pressed by the Lord to do it, and it seems like it's perfectly timed, and even in light of what's going on in the world in which we live, how these things beautifully, beautifully go together. And uh, it is important that we understand God and his word and his ways. I've entitled this today, Satan's Ongoing Plan to Destroy Jesus. Satan's Ongoing Plan to Destroy Jesus. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service today, pray for the nation of Israel. They are under incredible attack right now. It is the worst attack since 1973 in the Yom Kippur War. And uh, this one may vary. It's possible it could certainly surpass it, the technology and the warfare. The tools of warfare are much greater than they were then. And all the technology with computers and everything, all of this plays into it nowadays. But Satan's ongoing plan to destroy Jesus, keep this in mind. When it comes to Jesus Christ, it has been said that history is his story. You see how that goes together? History is his story. uh, But there has always been someone who wanted to defeat this truth from the very beginning. And that someone is Satan, Satan is not the name for negativity or some scent or something, spiritual scent out there or the uh, bad thought or whatever. No, Satan, according to the Bible, is a real person. Jesus dealt with him one-on-one as a real person. He is a fallen angel. He's one of the original angels and he fell. And so we know he is real. And so what we want to do today is kind of look at how this works down through history and then see where we're at today and see how this all ties together. Because in fact it does. It does. What's going on in the Middle East as I speak today is part of a last day scenario according to the Bible. This is, these are not surprises not only to God, they're not surprises to us. We don't know how the dots will be connected, but we know what the dots are according to scripture. The end time events. We know that Russia is behind these attacks on Israel. We know that Iran is behind. You might say, well, uh, make up your mind, which one? It's both, both Russia and Iran. And maybe China's in the mix. I don't know about that, but I do know Russia and Iran definitely are. How do I know that? Well, because of what the Bible says. The Old Testament prophets, Ezekiel 38, we know there's going to be a, an invasion from the north. Is this the beginning of that? Or is it a long process? I'm getting off the track. But the point is, folks, these are not surprises. The misery and the bloodshed and the hurt to human beings is it grieves me deeply, and I know it grieves many of you, but things will not get truly better until the King of Kings shows up to set up his kingdom. And that's at least seven years away. At least seven years away. So let's look at this today. First thing we're going to look at is the historical record of Satan's plan. The historical record of Satan's plan. Now, I'm, I'm going to keep this brief, okay? There's a lot of things we could include in this, but because of time, we're not going to. Satan has, from the beginning, tried to destroy the Lord Jesus Christ from ever Accomplishing his mission. He wanted to prevent the birth of Jesus Christ. He wanted to ruin the life of Jesus Christ. He wanted to ruin, and is still trying to ruin, the plan of salvation that we find in the Word of God from ever happening. Now, what are some ways down through history he's done this? Well, I'll go through these quickly, but they're important. One, we see very clearly the king of Egypt. Wanting to kill all the Hebrew boy babies. We find this, of course, in the book of Exodus. While he was probably unaware, the king I'm talking about, while the king of Egypt was probably unaware of the big picture, he was still being used by Satan. Do you understand what I'm saying? The eradication of the Jewish people has always been a major part of Satan's plan. For Messiah would come through the Jewish people. Jesus was a Jew. Now, by the way, the things I'm covering today, you might say, well, this just fits hand in hand with what just happened the other day with the invasion. Yes, I want you to know my entire message was done before that ever happened. But we know that the word of God is true and we know how it all fits. Listen, Satan is behind all anti-semitism. He hates the Jewish people because through the Jewish people, the promised Messiah would come. We know that and we've already seen that from scripture. You look at the Holocaust that took place. What an absolute nightmare of an event in human history. Targeting who? Mainly the Jewish people. Why such hatred for the Jewish people? It's because of the link They are the chosen ones of God, and if Satan can eradicate the Jewish people, he can thwart and defeat the plan of God for the ages. But he can't. He can't. We see another case of the historical record of Satan's plan. Another evidence of it of Haman in the book of Esther wanting to eradicate all the Jews. He wanted to completely rid the human race of the Jewish nation. And of course, God turned it around and it backfired. And, and Haman, uh, he was really hung up, okay, uh, by that fact. <laughs> Let me give you another one. Herod's decree, which we will cover today, to kill all the male babies, Jewish, okay, two years and younger. Now we will cover this in Matthew 2 today, but this is also mentioned in the historical lesson about Israel and their coming king who would rule and reign according to, it's talked about in Revelation chapter 12 verses 1 through 5. We see the history lesson how that the woman, we know that's Israel, would bear a child And the dragon was waiting for the child to be born to where he could devour him. But in God's plan, of course, that is not what was allowed to take place. Let me give you another one. Now, we haven't gotten there yet, but the temptation by Satan, the temptation of Jesus by Satan that we find in Matthew chapter 4. That was another one. Tempting him, tempting him. If you'll just bow down, if you'll worship me, I'll give you all these things. Well, Satan, I got news for you. He's going to get all the nations anyway. And he wasn't going to bow down. How about this one? How about the many times when Satan was working even through the disciples? You might say, what? What are you referring to, Pastor? Do you remember in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus said to Peter... By the way, what a way to talk to the first pope, right? I'm just kidding. What did he say? Get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus knew who was behind what Peter was saying. Satan is alive and well. He's defeated, but he's active today. Then we see also, we see the work of Satan. Now, I know there's two sides of this, but we see the evidence of Satan working in the death of, of jesus christ you might say wait a minute pastor jesus had to die yes he did yes he did but it's interesting in genesis chapter 3 in verse 15 it gave the prophecy that satan would bruise his heel but this one who would come the seed the promised seed would bruise his head which would be a mortal wound to satan And of course, that's what will take place. For Satan, it was a temporary victory that in reality led to his ultimate and eternal defeat through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You might say, well, didn't Jesus have to go to the cross? Yes, he did. But folks, if you look at the gospel record, now listen, Jesus had to die on the cross and pay for sins. Do we get that? But it didn't have to be done with such hatred and savagery and evil as it was. That was Satan. That was Satan. Okay, if I can't stop you from going to the cross, I'm going to make it the worst torture that there's been in human history. And yet, he's dead. Okay, wait a second. No, don't wait a second. Wait three days. I got news for you, bud. You're dead meat. Look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says in verse 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead. This is what validates Christianity. This is what it's about. How do we know we have the one true faith? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is not here, the angel said. He is risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Examine it. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty. but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man, Adam, came death, by man, Jesus, came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Oh, he took pleasure, I believe, in the death of Christ, but he was completely defeated when the resurrection took place. And so we see these evidences, and there's more, but we see these evidences of Satan working down through the ages, trying to bring his plan about. And of course, he is a defeated foe today. You might say, well, if he's defeated, why does he keep trying? Well, we could spend hours talking about this. I think at the root of it all is his pride. Pride is blinding. People who are proud cannot see their sin. Did you know that? I think we all know that. People who are proud or individuals who are proud cannot see their sin. Takes humility. Satan will never be humble. He'll be humbled, but he won't be humble. Which leads us to our second point, the defeat of Satan's plan. Now turn with me over to Matthew chapter 2. This is our text, and this is where we'll pick up today. Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew 2, verses 12 through 23, we see that it is futile to fight against God's plan. He is sovereign. Now, listen, we bristle sometimes. Those of us who don't believe in Calvinism, we sometimes bristle at the word sovereign. We, I've actually had brothers in Christ say, we should never use the word sovereign. Well, I disagree. There's nothing wrong with the word if you define it. Listen. Sovereign, what does sovereign mean? It simply means, if I could put it in, in everyday terms, sovereign is that the Lord, when we say God is sovereign, we're talking about that He is the boss of the universe. He will have His way, He will bring His plan about. There's nothing anti human free will with that reality because. As it says in our statement of faith, God in his sovereignty gave man a free will. Do you see? He gives man free will. He is sovereign. He will have his way in the end. Satan wanted more than anything to destroy Jesus Christ. If he couldn't destroy him, or excuse me, if he could destroy him, God would not be God. But the Lord will always have his way, okay? Jesus proved that Satan was defeated and that he rose from the grave. Now, Matthew chapter 2, verse 9, it says, When they had heard the king, getting back, okay, to where we were last week, the wise men came from the east. We've heard this, the Messiah was born. I'm paraphrasing, okay? Or this newborn king was born. Of course, Herod at the time, he's very paranoid. He didn't want to share any authority or glory with anybody. So he says, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to, uh, to go south, find out all about him, then report back to me so I can go worship him. <laughs> yeah, with a sword in your hand. When they had heard the king, they departed and lo, the star which they saw in the east, by the way, the star guided them west went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Notice young child. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, not the stable, not the barn, not the trough, not the cave. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Now those verses I just covered, if you want more detailed explanation, listen to last week's message. Verse 12 there is where we pick up. See, the Lord will have his way and no one can stop him. Herod said, I want you to go down. I want you to report back to me. They went down. Now, whether they were planning to report back, I don't know. But they were told, they were warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod. But they departed into their own country another way. Why? Because that's what God wanted. God was protecting The Lord will have his way, and no one can stop him. He directly intervened with these men, and as we will see, he directly intervened with Joseph. Verse 13, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to worship him. No, to destroy him. So what do we see? Well, I know I've already mentioned it, but Herod was a tool in the hands of Satan. This should be a chilling thought for any human being. Not only does Satan use lost people, but can I also tell you this, folks? I've been a pastor for many years. Satan not only uses lost people, he also manipulates believers to hinder the work of God. It's amazing, and many times the believers can't even see what's going on. But if you understand how Satan works, it can become very obvious. Again, this should be a chilling thought for any human being. Satan uses believers to bring chaos to local churches. Satan uses believers to create rifts between people, to bring bitterness and hatred toward, I'm talking about Christians, to divide. Satan uses all kinds of things to defeat individual believers and bring all kinds of addictions and problems and bondages and wrong ideas into the head. What? To do what? To keep us from accomplishing his goal, God's goal in our lives. Let me ask you a question this morning if you're a Christian. What's your ministry? What are you doing to fulfill the Great Commission? What are you doing to help that come about? Do you just exist as a Christian? I'm glad you're here today, but is your Christianity nothing more than showing up in church? If that's all it is, you're not in the will of God as He would want you to be in His will. And Satan is manipulating you. Verse 14. When he arose, when Joseph arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Now, this is a quote from Hosea, the Old Testament prophet, chapter 11, verse 1, where it says, And when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. This refers, of course, primarily to the nation of Israel being called out of bondage in Egypt, but it also has a double meaning. It's a prophetic meaning referring to Jesus. And by the way, you see that a lot in the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. Double meanings. Double meanings. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding Wrath. He was really fuming, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Might say, did he, did he, did he slay? Did he slaughter? Did he murder? Both the boys and girls. Actually, it was just the boys. You might say, how do you know that? The word children here is masculine in gender. The word is is masculine. It's not neuter. It's masculine. Meaning the male children. Remember, who had been born? A king. There weren't female kings at that time. The fact that Herod wanted to kill all the male children two years and younger tells me that the meeting with the wise men probably came between the time Jesus, now listen carefully, between, between the time Jesus was one and two years old. One and two years old. You might say, how do you come up with that? Well, one thing we have already established was that the wise men probably did not know the shepherds because the shepherds came to see the newborn baby in the manger, right? Well, they didn't stay there until the baby was two years old. No, they had sheep to attend to. And then the wise men, when they found out about the birth, they traveled a long distance. Many believe it was from Babylon, which is in Iraq. They traveled a long distance across, going west into Israel. And so this takes... Time. It gave the wise men time to travel from the east, meet with Herod, go to Bethlehem. Remember, they were not on super coach buses. They were on camels. It gave them time to travel from the east, meet with Herod, go to Bethlehem, worship Jesus, leave and go home. And then give time for Herod to realize that he had been ignored, or in a sense, duped. So time had passed. And this is why Herod killed all the male babies two years old and down, just to be sure that he got it done. Verse 17 Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy or Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. This verse in verse 18 is a quote from Jeremiah. Again, major Old Testament prophet where he says this, Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Ra'el, which is another spelling for Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted, for her children, because they were not. They're dead. They're dead. Verse 19. But when Herod was dead, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. So Joseph and Mary were in Egypt with Jesus for a period of time, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room or in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Well, wait a minute. Herod's son is ruling now. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, God is sovereign. He's going to have his way. He turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now there's a lot of debate on this idea of Nazarene, Nazarite, and all of that one commentary says but perhaps matthew led by the spirit saw a spiritual connection between the name nazarene and the hebrew word which is what jeremiah was written in netzer which means a branch or a shoot okay and uh then they'll refer back to several old testament verses one of which is jeremiah 23 5 where it says behold the days Come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, Netzer, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Now that's a possibility. I don't discount it. The truth of it is we don't know for sure if this links back to that or not, because the truth of it is this. It can simply mean that he was from Nazareth. And we know that that was many times how people referred to Jesus in the gospel, right? Jesus of who? From who? From where? Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. So it could simply mean that. Link back prophetically to the word branch, it's possible. Okay, I'm not saying that's not it, but I'm just saying it could be very simple. Just simply that he was, he shall be called a Nazarene, meaning He's from Nazareth, okay? Which leads us to our third point today, and it is this, the ongoing strategy of Satan's plan. The ongoing strategy of Satan's plan. While he has been forever declared a defeated foe, and he will suffer forever because of his rebellion, now understand that, he still is fighting to do damage to the lord jesus christ how is he doing that listen carefully today folks he is doing that by hiding the truth of the gospel from the lost the gospel is all about jesus christ the gospel is all about his sacrificial death burial resurrection as the full payment for our sins. That's what the gospel is. The good news is that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And if you believe in him, trust in him that he made that payment for your sin, he says he will save you forever and you're going to heaven because of what he did. Not what you do, but what he did. Satan doesn't want people to know that. Satan doesn't want people to understand the simplicity, as the Bible says, of the gospel. He wants them to think it's complicated. He wants them to think that you've got to toil and sweat and work and stop this and start that and do all these things. All of those things are tools of Satan to blind people to the truth of the gospel. Because the gospel brings glory to Jesus Christ because he is the savior. And Satan doesn't want people to know that. He still wants people blinded by their pride to think that they can earn their way to heaven by good deeds of one kind or another. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter four. 2 Corinthians chapter four. Satan is not going to go up to a person and say this. You want to go to heaven? Take drugs? Rape, murder, and steal? Be a serial killer? Torture people? Be addicted? Whatever else evil you can think of. And do those things and be faithful and sincere in those and God will let you into heaven. No one would believe that. No, how does Satan... He's a, remember, he's a deceiver, And he's the master deceiver. That means he knows how to do it better than anyone else. And folks, the primary way he is deceiving people today, yes, he wants to destroy homes. Yes, he wants people to be abusive. Yes, he wants them on drugs and do all kinds of evil things. Yeah, that's there. But it's more than that. He wants to give people a heavenly way to go to hell. That fools people. That will fake people out. That will deceive them. 2 Corinthians 4, 3. But if our gospel be hid, the good news of who? Jesus Christ. Satan doesn't want people to bring glory to him, to be saved by him. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, notice little g, it's referring to Satan, in whom the god of this world hath blinded the minds of them which which do what believe not the condition for us being saved through the gospel is that we simply believe in the lord jesus christ and we are saved you notice he's blinding the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of christ you notice it's the gospel of christ the one he wants to defeat who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Remember, Satan wanted to be God. And by the way, he still does. The Old Testament, I will be like the Most High. I want to be worshiped. Even said it to Jesus, worship me. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Can you imagine? Remember, the entire story and purpose of Jesus coming to earth was to pay for our sins so that we can have eternal life and be reconciled back to God. The Bible says the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That's why the Father sent Jesus. He didn't send him simply to be a good example for us or to give us something interesting to read in a book. No, he sent him to be the Savior. And Satan has fought that and continues to fight people being saved today. Satan does not want Jesus to get the glory. He does not want people to know that Jesus will save them forever from hell. He wants the glory for himself. And so what is he doing? He is offering mankind counterfeit ways of salvation, counterfeit gospels, anything to blind people to the reality that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Listen, if you could earn your way to heaven, God would have never sent Jesus to earth. He would have never put Jesus through. Jesus would have never suffered like he did, willingly by the way, for you and me. If we could earn it, God would have said, okay, here's what you need to do, do these things and you'll make it. But no one can, no one can. And that's why he came, because it's impossible for man to save himself. See, here's the truth, folks. Any message from any preacher or ministry or piece of literature, any message that consists of what Jesus Christ did on the cross plus us doing something else is a false counterfeit gospel. Any message that replaces Jesus Christ as the only Savior is a false counterfeit. Gospel. There is only one gospel. In Romans 1, Paul said this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. There's only one. And what is it? He defines it in 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And all we need to do is believe in him that he did that for us and he will give us everlasting life. People, you hear it today. You'll hear it on Christian radio Day after day, minute after minute, year after year, oh no, there's more to getting to heaven than just believing in Christ as your Savior. What is it? My sins, He paid for all my sins. What else do I have to do? Jesus did it for me. And He proved it was done by coming back from the dead. What do you mean there's other things for me to do? No, you have to turn from all your sins. That's a lie. No one has ever turned from all their sins. Did you know that? No one has you'll hear preachers say it. You have to turn from all your sins. Ask them. Be nice. But ask them. Pastor, have you turned from all your sins? And then they'll probably say something like this. Well, no, but I'm trying. That's a flag. Trying means you're trying to work. You're not saved by working. You're saved by believing in Christ as your Savior. Now, folks, I think it's good once we're saved that we, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, live godly lives, pure lives that, yes, yes, God wants us to live pure lives and be godly and holy in the way we live. But if you're trusting in that to gain entrance to heaven, you're trusting in something besides the only one who can save you, and you're believing a false gospel. Again, we believe in being godly around here. You know that with all the different ministries we have that have to do with bringing people a Christian maturity and godliness. We've got all kinds of ministries. But those have as their foundation, the way you're saved is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. He's the Savior Any message that replaces Jesus as the only Savior is a false gospel. It's Jesus alone. It's not Jesus plus anything. All he's asking us to do is believe in him that all of our sins have been paid for. Let me show you this today. I love to explain it this way. You know, I had somebody, it was an encouragement to me. I don't know if I told the person this or not. It came up to me one week. I'm not sure which one it is because weeks go by like days, Right? scary that even to kids, time is going by quickly. To me, it was like when I was a kid, it was like, it's only Monday. Oh, it's Tuesday. Christmas is a a month away. A month. Oh, no, it's never going to get here. Now to me, somebody says, oh, this is a month away. Oh, okay, I'll go home, go to bed, get up, and the month will be here. You know, it's kind of that way. What happened in between? I don't know, but I'm still here. All right. Look up here. Are you sure you're going to heaven when you die? Can I explain to you how you can be sure? This is the good news. This is the gospel. Let's pretend that this is you and me. And we're going to let my wallet represent our sin. All the things we do wrong. We all do things wrong. God loves us. God hates our sin. He loves us. How do I know that? Because he sent his son to save us. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't have done it. God loves us. He hates our sin. By the way, the man said this. Don't ever stop doing this. That's what he said. Don't ever stop doing it. I said, I'm not. Not until the Lord takes me home. God loves us. He hates our sin. See, sin separates us from God. You can't go to heaven with any sin. Might so say, I think I'm, I'm a good person. Are you a sinner? Yeah, you're disqualified. The Revelation says there shall in no way enter into it heaven. Anything that defiles, that means sin's have you ever sinned? Yes. Well, then you can't get in. God says we've sinned and our sin must be paid for. It's the only payment is death, not good works. Death. We'd have to die physically and spend forever separated from God. God says, I don't want that for you. Now, Satan comes along and says, oh, well, it's, it's good what Jesus did on the cross, but you got to do your part too. I mean, you know, don't you go believing in this greasy grace stuff believe people actually say that? Greasy grace? Makes me want to throw up. How are we going to get rid of this sin? Not by good works, because the Bible says not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. That's why Jesus came. This hand representing God in the flesh, the sinless son of God, the Passover lamb. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Yeah, he got it. By the way, next week we'll be talking about him. Because there's nothing we could do to save ourselves, God entered the human race and he went to the cross, God in the flesh, Jesus, and he took that sin of ours upon himself. And when he died on the cross, he paid for every sin that's ever been done or ever will be done. He paid for it all, paid for your sins, paid for mine. He was buried, and he rose from the grave. And he says, if you will believe that he's paid for all your sins, you're believing in him, you're trusting in him that he did that for you. The moment you do, he gives you everlasting life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way. For he, God, hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When you believe in Christ as your Savior, he gives you his very own righteousness. If you're as righteous as God. Could you get into heaven? Yeah. And it's a gift by simply trusting in Christ. One last verse, Acts chapter four and verse twelve. Peter's preaching and he says, "Neither is there salvation in any other." It's pretty narrow, isn't it? Only one person can give you salvation, and it's not you, and it's not me. Neither is salvation. In any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. When you trust in him, all your sins are paid for. In other words, the payment is good on your behalf that he made. That transaction doesn't take place until you believe in him as your savior. But when you do, he gives you everlasting life. All your sins are taken care of. So then what If the wages of sin is death, but he died for my sins, do I have to die for my sins? No, he did it for me. If I don't have any more sins to pay for, what's keeping me out of heaven? Nothing. What's sending me to hell? Nothing. All he's asking us to do is believe, trust in him that he did that for us. And when we do, he gives us everlasting life. Listen, if you've never heard that before, I urge you today to put your faith in Christ. If you wonder, I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not, why not trust in Jesus Christ today? And you can be sure based on the promises of God. It says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13. Trust in him. Would you do that? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much and God bless you.